Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Thorne Byron of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam here. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Foldy. It's Alex Turcott from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the Adelman. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Welcome to the Pipeline Show and Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2020, first episode of the show for this season or for this calendar year, that is. Season 15, of course, started way back at the uh, first week, uh, the first show of August of 2019. And it'll wrap up at the end of uh, July of 2020. So we're uh, pretty much smack dab in the middle here uh, of the uh, of the 15th season of the Pipeline Show. But it's the first year, or first show of 2020. So uh, welcome to a new year. Uh, and of course, it's the first show since the World Junior Championship. And this show is basically just a recap of the World Junior. We're only going to have one guest. It's going to be a fairly, you know, compared to the other episodes of the show, uh, it'll be a short one. It's only going to be about an hour long. And... Uh, we're going to skip some of the stuff that we normally do. Uh, there will be another show that I'm planning of to come out on the weekend after all the trade deadline stuff in the uh, CHL. Uh, the trade deadline in the queue has come and gone already, but uh, on Friday for the WHL on, and the Ontario Hockey League. So there will be a, another show that I'll plan to have come out on the weekend. But for now, it's just a World Junior recap. We'll still do a question of the day, though, and I put that up on Twitter just a few minutes ago. I, I want you to give me a, a player that you... Uh, we're impressed with that maybe exceeded your expectations at the World Junior and a player that maybe left you wanting more, that you were expecting more from uh, and maybe just uh, failed to live up to your expectations. Doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that person played a or had a poor tournament, but just the production wasn't there. And uh, for me, uh, the guy that I was surprised by, I guess I would say Joel Hofer would be one of those kind of, kind of players because I didn't expect that he would be the starter, let alone the guy who would end up a backstop in Canada to a, a gold medal. So I think Joel Hofer would be a, a fitting candidate. Uh, and then I guess I'm going to stick with the team Canada and the Canadian that I was a little bit uh, surprised that there wasn't more production from would be uh, Bowen Byram, who I thought would be the uh, one of the, uh, he was my pre-tournament pick for top defenseman in the tournament. And uh, that obviously was not the case. Not, And I can't say he played poorly, uh, just the offensive production that we see we've seen from him at the WHL level uh, wasn't there at the World Junior. So those are two for me. And I, you can look at the United States. Obviously, they had a disappointing finish. Uh, Cole Caulfield would be, I think, the player that a lot of people would mention. He was certainly the player that most people picked when I uh, had the uh, the preview episode right before Christmas about uh, you know who would lead the tournament in scoring. A lot of people said Cole Caulfield. He only had two points in the entire event. So. Definitely a disappointing uh, performance uh, from him, or at least the uh, lack of production was disappointing for sure. 
For myself personally, I didn't have a chance to watch as much of the World Junior this year as I normally do. I had a lot of family from out of town that was in uh, the Edmonton area uh, for an extended Christmas uh, uh, celebration period. I uh, got together with uh, with my mom and my brother and uh, his family and my immediate family, and uh, that was right before Christmas. And then, of course, it's Christmas. Uh, Boxing Day is the start of the tournament, uh, and that was basically Christmas with my uh, in-laws. Uh, who is a much larger family, and that continued for uh, three or four days. Uh, then there was another celebration on uh, just after New Year's. Uh, so there were many games that I didn't see at all, and uh, some games that I only saw portions of. I'm guessing that will change significantly next year when it is here in Edmonton and Red Deer. A little jealous. The, uh, the Red Deer pool, to me, looks like it's going to be the more exciting one with uh, Sweden and Russia and the United States. Uh, whereas the pool that uh, I think the pool that will be in Edmonton, the the Canadian pool, will have Finland, uh, and then teams like uh, Slovakia and Switzerland and and whatnot. So uh, a little bit less exciting, at least in my opinion. Actually, the Germans might be in the Canadian pool. Uh, it's Austria that will be in the other side, and uh, and the Czech Republic. So anyway, I thought one pool was much more. Uh, the, the parity was much uh, tougher. It was harder to get out of and, and uh, predict the standings in a pool B this year uh, than it was in pool A. And I think it'll be similar next year as well. But uh, if you're coming to the world junior championship in Edmonton, uh, let me know. That'd be great. Maybe we can uh, find a way to say hello or something like that uh, at one of the games. All right. But as I mentioned, uh, it's going to be a much different episode here, uh, kind of an uh, abbreviated episode, a world junior recap, only one guest on the show. Let's get to that right now. And uh, Chris Peters from ESPN is my guest. He was over in uh, the Czech Republic taking in the uh, World Junior Championship firsthand. Chris, welcome back to the show. How was uh, well? How was uh, the Czech Republic? Oh, geez. Well, thanks for having me. And it's uh, it's always one of my favorite places that I've, I've been lucky enough to go to. I've, that's a, that was my second trip, and uh, you know, the, everything is great. People are are great. Uh, the, the venues uh, had great support and. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with Czech beer, so, uh, it all, it all works, it all works out in the end, but it was, uh, it was honestly, you know, that's, that's my third world live world juniors. And I thought that that was one of the most fun that I've, I've covered. Awesome. Uh, it's great to hear. And I've heard the, 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 the Czech beer, not only was it uh, quality tasting and produced the, uh, the, the right results, but it was fairly inexpensive too, from what I hear. It is very inexpensive, and uh, that is also very welcome to yeah. uh, to meet myself and pretty much every single Canadian that was there on uh, Stadolny Street celebrating the gold medal there. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that's that. that. That was a bar district, and it was Little Canada for basically two weeks. All right, well, maybe that's where we'll start. Uh, we'll kind of uh, look at uh, the results for each team and uh, some of the players that uh, maybe stood out in good or bad ways for you, and I guess we should start with uh, with Canada. They they won the gold medal, and uh, interesting fashion coming back in the third period. Uh, that obviously was impressive, controversial with the, uh, the puck off the camera. I still don't understand how that wasn't a, a delay of game call. Uh, and uh, Russia should have had, a, in my opinion, a five-on-three power play at the end of the game there. But uh, it's all in the books now. Uh, tell me about the, the tournament from a Canadian perspective and uh, what you liked. Yeah, well, you know, it was, it was obviously uh, kind of a, a strange tournament, I think, for Canada initially. You know, they had, they they kind of had that, that tough first game against USA where they ended up winning. But, you know, that was really back and forth, up and down. 
Um, that's such a hard way to start the tournament when, you know, it's a rivalry game, the emotions are high, but then you're also, you've only been together for, for so long. And, and obviously we saw that was, that was the moment that Alexi Lafreniere, uh, announced his arrival, uh, onto, onto the world junior stage and, and, you know, started his MVP run, but, you know, that, that loss to Russia was concerning as well. But I think what, what happened was they made the right adjustments and, you know, they had to kind of play without Lafreniere for a couple of games and, and see what else they had and guys stepped up. And I think that, you know, the, the guy that stepped up the most was Joel Hoffer and, 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 and having him come in and, and, and make the, make the plays that he did um, and, and make the saves that he did. He gave him a chance in every game that he started and, and really was a difference maker and ends up being the tournament director award winner. So that was a key adjustment. Number one, after starting with, with Nico Dawes, and then after that, you know, really the top line players played their best hockey. And that was, you know, Barrett Hayton coming back with an injury and Lafreniere coming back and, and being able to, to perform. Um, you know, I thought Joe Valeno played huge minutes for that team. Didn't get the points necessarily, but he was a, a key factor and at both ends of the ice and, you know, could kill penalties and could be on the power play and could kind of do a little bit of everything and, and typically had among the most ice time of, of those players and, you know, we saw other guys step up like in key spots when, when guys went down, like Jamie Drysdale when Bowen Byron was hurt and, and he played such a great role in their semifinal win. Um, and, and so, yeah, so it was just, they, they, they never had to rely specifically on Hayton and Lafreniere to get the job done. It was a full team effort. And then as we saw in that, in that dramatic comeback win, I mean, just an incredible game and an incredible piece of resilience from that team. Um, cause after Russia went up three, one, I was like, gosh, this is going to be really difficult, but you really never count out Canada in a, in a world junior final. And sure enough, they come storming back. And then it's a guy who had nine shifts in the entire game and one assist in the tournament prior to that. And Akil Thomas wins it for Canada on a, on a, on a effort play, uh, and, and just a, a fortuitous kind of bounce that, that he made count. And, and it was an unbelievable, team performance i feel from from canada throughout and that was the story is that this was a team not of simply star players their star players stepped up but they had other guys step up in key moments that that made it made a big difference and their depth uh, eventually won them the tournament i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you your thoughts about the uh the uh, puck off the camera and and what was talked about there uh, while all that was unfolding and, and the end result and what you thought uh, should have happened if if you felt differently than the officials yeah, well, the, the officials actually got it right. I'll say that first. Um, it, it, by rule, that camera is essentially part of the, the 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 rink. So say a player flips the puck out from the defensive zone and it hits the center scoreboard, yep. that's not a delay of game penalty. It's just a, It's just a whistle. That's the same situation there. It deflected off the camera. Camera's part of the field of play. That is they, – they got the call right. Um so, you know, it, it's, it's fortuitous camera placement. I'll put it that way, you know, I mean, in terms of, 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 you know, what it meant. Um, but yeah, but I mean, credit to the officials. So that is a, that is a very strange occurrence. It comes in the biggest moment of the game and the way Russia can play with a five on three power play or a six on three power play with all the weapons that they have. There's a really good chance they, they find that tying goal. Um, even though their power play wasn't as clicking as well this tournament as it usually does for Russia in international events. So 
it was it you know it, it was uh it was shocking um i didn't really find out until after the game what you know what the what the rule was on that but essentially the officials got it right in the end and canada held on and uh man i mean you know if it, it would have been uh it would have been crazy if it if it went if it went the other way and, and russia ended up finding that tying goal but yeah. boy it was it was a, a tremendous hockey game and and you know it was contra- controversial in the end but in but really at the end it was the right decision made all right, interesting. Uh, you mentioned Joel Hofer and the play of uh, of him in Canada's net, and I thought going into the tournament, if Canada didn't win, it would be because of goaltending. They just, I mean, Hofer and Dawes neither had any international hockey experience. Uh, Olivier Rodrigue was going in as the third guy, and I think that was a surprise to a lot of people. So if there was a a weakness there, it might have been in net, and yet Hofer comes in as the backup and steals the show. Even in the CHL, I mean, he's playing in Portland, so he's not in Canada, so he's kind of probably forgotten to some extent, obviously not by Hockey Canada, but uh, this is a guy, did he just put himself on the map? He, he absolutely did. Um, you know, I hadn't really seen him play very much. You know, I, I was obviously familiar with him as, you know, as a drafted prospect, but beyond that, it was, you know, I, I didn't really know what Canada was going to have. And, and then he comes in, and I, I thought his best performance was in there. Uh, was in that first period really of the gold medal game where he just, he looked so sharp and so locked in and there were good chances against him, And he just was just smothering a lot. And, and he, he recovered well, you know, when they finally, Russia finally did score and, you know, another blues prospect ended up getting the goal on him, Nikita Alexandra. But, you know, it was, it was really surprising to me to see, you know, here's a guy that, that came in and, and was not in the least bit rattled, uh, at any moment, um, in that, in that tournament. And, you know, body language can mean a lot. It means a lot to your team. It means a lot to, you know, how your opponent feels they're doing against you. Um, and he was the same guy no matter what the entire time. And, and, you know, I think, uh, it, it's, you know, Nico Dawes didn't, he, he didn't necessarily play poorly at that really bad goal against, uh, against Russia. But beyond that, I mean, I thought it was all right. And I was like, gosh, do we have a goalie controversy brewing? But you see a guy take the reins the way that Hofer did. And it's, it's pretty, pretty incredible to see, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially from a guy that I wasn't all that familiar with. And, and then certainly, you know, you look at the star power among goalies in that tournament and to be the directorate award winner um, and deservingly. So he was my, on my all-star ballot. You know, I even thought maybe he was needed some MVP consideration, uh, ultimately went with Lafreniere, but still, I mean, he was he was pretty impressive in, in that whole thing. Chris Peters from ESPN, my guest, looking back at the 2020 World Junior Championship. Uh, all right, Russia ends up with the silver medal and a pretty strong tournament. Certainly their win over Canada, really, really impressive. Uh, when you look up and down that roster, uh, who stood out for you in a positive way? Oh, boy. that, that I mean, that's another one where, it was hard to put guys in the all-star ballot just because they were all so good and, yeah. and they all contributed. And uh, I did put Alexander Romanov on my all-star ballot, the Montreal Canadiens prospect to, you know, he, he, he played the second most minutes of any defenseman. That was Igor Zamula actually had more uh, minutes and played both PK and power play. Um, and obviously, you know, it's another guy that, that fans would be familiar with out West and, and certainly Philadelphia Flyers fans got a, got an eyeful of him, but those two guys were, were among the best players. I thought top to bottom in the tournament. Um, Russia actually picked Zamula as one of their best three players. Um, but, but him and Romanov 
were, were just really special. And I, I thought that Romanov's ability to be, you know, physical, productive, um, the fact that he's, he, he was so mobile and, and so involved at both ends of the ice. I thought that, you know, he was the guy that, that I gave the edge to, but you know, you, you move up front and I mean, he, some of the, some of the plays that Grigori Denisenko made throughout this tournament. Um, and the fact that he was committed to playing a two-way game and playing a, a kind of a snarly physical game, despite not being that big of a guy. Um, and then also having the hands that he has, it's, it's, it's remarkable to watch. Um, he, he is, you know, he was the leader of that team in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, Vasily Podkolzin didn't have necessarily the numbers, but he was another all situations player for that team. Um, I thought that he, you know, he drove play a lot. He was able to get pucks in. He, he didn't necessarily have the best, uh, you know, best trigger men to, to get the pucks to um, in the middle, but he did a lot of uh, hard work. And then, you know, the guy that, that just continues trending up and up and up for me is Alexander Holdenov, uh yeah. and, and his ability to uh, his skill, his shot. I mean, he, he was, he was uh, kind of did everything that they needed him to do. Um, scored some big goals, made some big plays. Um, had that jersey pop to the moon against Sweden, which uh, very nearly angered Sweden enough to to find a way to not lose in the in the semifinal. But of course, that seems to always happen. But but he was a guy that I thought you know really stepped up, and and I also really enjoyed the play of Igor Sokolov, who's you know undrafted but made, played a key role for them. And has gone through the draft once already, hasn't he? But I mean, at six four and putting on the putting up the numbers that he is in the queue this year. I'd be really surprised if he goes undrafted again. Yeah, you know, he's he's an interesting case because I think that, you know, kind of the book on him was, you know, he's he's he he is big, but he's, you know, he's he, he's let's just put it, he's out of shape essentially is what is what a lot of teams felt like and they didn't feel like he had the effort. But when you look at how he uses that frame, how heavy he can play, and the fact that he has these hands that, you know, he that goal that he scored against Sweden to tie the game late was a super high skill play. It was a good hockey sense play. It was a give and go kind of situation. And, and the, the kid too is he, he's, he's kind of gregarious in the, in the press scrums. And, and he, you know, I think he developed a lot of fans in the media as well, just be hot because of how effusive he was about his team, his game, um, you know, his goals and, 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 and celebrating and everything. And, and yeah, but I think that, there are teams that are concerned about conditioning um, and, and overall, you know, consistency of work ethic there. But I still think when you look at the physical tools, I mean, how is that a guy? That's a guy that you at least take a long look at and say, you know, we, there's got to be a spot for him somewhere in our organization. Yeah, just need some good role models. Maybe, you know, a team like Washington gets them and they've got some pretty successful uh, Russians there that can uh, help bring them along. Uh, what about the goaltending for Russia? I know there were a lot of, People watching Yaroslav Askarov, but uh, Amir Mistikov was pretty good in that tournament. Yeah, he was. You know, Mistikov actually, you know, he, he, they both had their ups and downs. I thought, you know, Askarov, they put him in the net and he lost the game against the Czech Republic and, and was bad in the game. I mean, there's just no, I've not, I've watched that kid play live probably over a dozen times, more, over 20 times, I think. And that was by far the, the worst game I've seen him play. Um, and, you know, and I think that he, he was he was good uh, for a time, you know, and he just didn't have the consistency. But then Miftikov was really, you know, he he, he lost his job and then he just comes back and, and, you know, kind of shuts the door 
in the Sweden game when, when they had to chase Askarov. And then he gets an opportunity to, to start the gold medal game. And really until that little last stretch, he was playing really well. He was keeping everything contained. He was, you know, fast. He was moving post to post real well. And, you know, I, it was, it was interesting. Now, my opinion of Askarov has not changed in terms of how good of a goaltender I think he is. He did not have the best world juniors, but every other time he's worn the Russian jersey, he's been, you know, typically their best player. Um, and and I think, but but I do think that Mistakov at least is going to get some more consideration um, after you know he's he hasn't been drafted either. Um, the 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 knock on him is you know he's a six foot goaltender and uh, he's Russian, <laughs> so you know like those are the two factors that I think have kind of hurt him in his, in his, you know, ability to get drafted, but he certainly showed that he can play with elite players in this tournament. Uh, let's go to the Swedes who come away with the bronze medal. And uh, they also had the leading scorer in the tournament in, in Samuel Fagamo. And, and I guess no surprise really with how weak their pool was compared to the B pool uh, that they put up a lot of, a lot of points and, and were able to score a lot of goals. Uh, but uh, Fogamo gets the 13 points. Nils Hoglander right behind him with 11. What an electric player that kid is! Uh, what what uh, impression did the Swedes leave with you? Uh, you know, it's this is going to be a team that's going to feel that uh, this was another lost opportunity for them. Um, their forward group was not that great. It really wasn't. They did not have much depth. They didn't have a lot of scoring options. But their defense was elite. And and their that you know the you mentioned Fagamo and Hoglander. They, those were their two best forwards. Wire to wire, uh, Hoglander takes the elbowing penalty early in the game against Russia, and they lose him for the game. And I, you know, I think that that's a huge factor in in why they lost. And and unfortunately for him, it's it's just a moment where you know he he lost his he lost his wits a bit, and and the elbow clearly came out, and I had no issue with the call. It was an obvious call, and you know he's probably lucky he didn't get suspended for the bronze medal game as well. But um, but he was he was everything that they needed him to be. You know, scored the lacrosse goal against uh, uh, against uh, Finland in a game that you know almost cost them their their winning streak in the preliminary round. Uh, but you know Fagamo to me was the guy that looked the most pro ready, the most um, locked in. Uh, he he scored goals pretty much whenever they needed him to score goals, and and, and he did he does that very well. He's got a great shot. Really like the kids too, uh, Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz. I thought they were. You know, they had some moments of electric, uh, electric skill, um, you know, toe drags and, and plays where they, they were creating scoring chances. The, the puck didn't bounce real well for Lucas Raymond, but it did for Alexander Holtz, who scored some huge goals for Sweden in that tournament. Great shot on him. He, he passes the puck extremely well. And, and the, the, the reason that I think he's having the success that he's having this year is he spent a lot of time this summer working on gaining mass and, and muscle and he looks like it. He looks more like a, a pro. He looks like a guy that's going to be really difficult to take off the puck. Uh, but for me, the Sweden story is all about their defense and their goaltending. Hugo Allenfeld, the goaltender, was amazing. Um, you know, he had had some tough moments there in that Russia game. But uh, aside from that, he was, you know, at, at one point really the front runner for me for the goalie of the tournament um, until, you know, they had that that they end up having that loss against Russia. But but he was he was a difference maker, and the funny thing about him is that they did not have him in their summer camp either. He won them the gold medal at the U18 Worlds, and he was not one of the goaltenders they brought to Plymouth to their summer camp. Um, and they did that by design. They wanted him to compete for the job, and he won it. And he was their goalie wire to wire, and I thought he was fantastic. Um, you know, the, the D we know, they're guys, the first round draft picks. You got Rasmus Sandin, you got 
uh, Nils Lundqvist, you got uh, Victor Soderstrom. I thought those three guys were their three top defensemen, with Sandine being my pick for uh, for for the All Star team. Um, he was just an all world player for them. They used him every other shift in overtime against Russia, which I think eventually bit them because he was on, he was the goal the defender beat on the game winning goal and he was gassed. It was pretty clear at that point that you know three on three overtime playing every other shift, it's just not a recipe for success, especially when you have Victor Soderstrom, who I thought was unbelievable, great mobility, good on the power play. Uh, he was a guy that also wasn't going to be on the team if Adam Boquist wasn't there. Um, uh, and the Blackhawks kept Boquist, and so they got Soderstrom, and I thought he was their second-best defenseman. And then Nils Lundqvist is such a good leader. Um, he played solidly, another guy that could help you on the power play. Uh, but was really solid defensively for them. Um, so yeah, so those, I mean, that's, uh, I have to ramble about that Swedish team because that decor is, is so, was so good. Yeah. Um, especially with those three guys. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's, uh, it, again, unfortunate for them that they're going to have another world juniors without gold. And I, I was at least glad to see that they were resilient enough to win the bronze. Uh, it's not an easy medal to win. It's not the fun. It's not the one that you came for, but they, they played real hard to win that medal. And they had to beat Finland to uh, get that bronze medal, and uh, that means the, the Finns, for me, honestly, they they exceeded my expectations. I I honestly didn't expect much from the Finns this year, and uh, the, them competing for that bronze medal uh, was more than I expected. I thought they'd finish second in their pool, but I didn't think they would they would do that well uh, and win in the uh, quarterfinals. Um, now I un- obviously underestimated the Finns, and and maybe I'm guilty of that, but um, from that uh, roster. There were a few guys who stood out. Uh, who stood out for you? Yeah, well, we'll start with the the whole reason that they made it to the semifinals, which is you know Eustace and Noonan. Um and you know Colorado Avalanche pick, big goalie. He's having a great year in Liga this year. He's in a platoon role um, in Liga, but he comes in and you know he he was an absolute wall against the Americans. Now the D, the D did a really nice job of keeping shots out to the perimeter. The U.S. didn't get a ton of high quality scoring chances in that game, but he came up big on, on several moments and just never once looked rattled. And then unfortunately, you know, didn't have a chance against Canada in the semis. So, uh, so he was, he was a key factor for me. Um, and, and, you know, and I think that you, I don't think you underestimated the Finns. I think they over, I, I do feel like they overachieved because their forward group lacked any amount of depth, but they did have Matthias Maselli who, you know, has had a tremendous year in pro in Finland this year after playing in the USHL last year with Dubuque. And, you know, I watched him live several times last year. I feel like he is, um, I, I thought he was very good. I thought he was, you know, second round caliber, third round caliber kind of draft prospect. Right now he looks like a legit, you know, he, he could have potentially, if he redrafted right now, he might even be a first rounder just the way that he plays. And, um, you know, great skill, great speed, um, made a lot of plays in that tournament and Finland played him into the ground, essentially. I mean, he was, he was playing upwards of, you know, 18, 19 minutes a night, some over 20 in some of the bigger games. He was, he was a key factor for them. Um, and, and I thought one of their best players and, but, but beyond that, I mean, like they didn't, they weren't a team full of standout guys. They didn't have a lot of, you know, Patrick Priestola. Uh, Pistola had a ton of points, uh, played really well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was a team that was, you know, that just, they had to play kind of the old school Finnish hockey where 
it's all about team defense and it's all about clogging up the middle and it's making things difficult on your opponents and, and having a good goaltender because they simply did not have the skill of, you know, not having Capo Caco or yesterday Kokeniemi, who are both age eligible for that team, not having Anton Wundell, who was injured. Yeah. Um, and they also made the decision to go eight defensemen, you know, with eight defensemen instead of bringing a 13th forward, uh, which is pretty rare and backfired on them, quite frankly. All right, Chris, let's go to, uh, while well, Switzerland uh, finished the tournament in fifth place, uh, any, any real notable players or performances from the Swiss this year that stood out for you? <laughs> Not really. Yeah, <laughs> no. I know. It's a very uh, generic yeah. team, aren't they? It, yeah, they are. I mean, I think Simon Nock, you know, had some really good moments and, you know, at least helped increase his draft profile a little bit. Um, you know, he, he, he made some plays and, and, you know, was good for them. You know, they, they had their goaltenders were, uh, were, were okay. You know, like they were just a very okay team. There was nothing real special about them. There was nothing that really uh, challenged them. I mean, they, they did beat Finland in the, in the, in the final preliminary round game, which was pretty crazy to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like that, I, I was at that game and I was just like, what, what is happening right now? How is this even possible? But, but yeah, but I, I mean, outside of Simon Nock and I, you know, I think Tim Burney, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets pick, he played really well for them as well, but that was not a team that, you know, had, had a lot of memorable pieces. All right. Well, then let's go to the sixth place team, the U.S. And uh, before the tournament started, when I polled my audience, uh, I think the majority of people were picking the U.S. to, to win the tournament. And when I was, asking the audience who's going to lead the tournament in scoring. If it wasn't uh, Lafreniere, it was Cole Caulfield, and uh, Caulfield only had two points in the event. My pick, actually, for uh, the top forward for the U.S. was Trevor Zegras, who actually did lead them in scoring. Uh, But overall, it has to be a disappointment to to finish sixth for the Americans. What went wrong? Huge disappointment. I think a lot went wrong, (laughs) you know, quite frankly. I mean, really, um, part of it is, I think we did overestimate the pool a bit. They, they were a team that was so reliant on 18 year olds. And I, I, I think that, you know, we see teams like Russia that show the value of having an older, heavier team. Um, the U S this, this team just did not resemble the typical U S team to me, uh, where it's based on speed. It's based on transition game, you know, creating on the fly, uh, you know, good, good, strong four check, um, and, and mobile, you know, defenseman that can get the puck up the ice. And I thought that I thought the decor was lacking. Um, you know, they did not have uh, a real game breaker uh, on the back end. Uh, they didn't get enough points from the defense either, uh, which was a which was a factor. Um, you know, we saw. I think there was some. You know, I, I think Scott Sandlin is a really good coach. I mean, he's <laughs> he's got the national championships to prove it. Um, I, I do think that there were some questionable personnel decisions and usage decisions, like putting Alex Turcotte on the wing to start the tournament, um, not having him with Cole Caulfield. Uh, you know, it took them a lot longer to get going. And, and really, I guess you could say they really never got going except for a few shifts. And those two guys were, were so valuable. And I mean, even Trevor Zegers, who you mentioned, he was not playing a lot at the beginning yeah. of the tournament. He forced his way up the lineup. And that, I think that's the difference between Zegers and Turcotte and Caulfield. He made, he, he made the most of his ice time when he was out there. The other two really didn't. And, and that was the difference in, in him getting more ice time. Um, you know, Arthur Kaliev, same thing. He, he limited ice time early. Then he started getting some chemistry with Zegris and, and, and then everything started going well. So that, that was key. I mean, I thought Spencer Knight was their best player, uh, for a lot of that tournament. Um, 
you know, he, he only gave up the one goal on the power play uh, to, to Finland in the quarterfinal. He did everything within his power to give his team a chance to win that game. Um, you know, did not have his best game against Canada, I didn't think. But, uh, you know, aside from that, he's, he, was, he was pretty solid. But, yeah, I think it comes back to, you know, the decor. Um, you know, Cam York didn't play a whole lot. That was another interesting thing. And, and there's some talk that, you know, he might still have a lingering injury for Michigan. That's a reason that they used him almost exclusively on the power play. Um, but, you know, that's a guy that, that kind of plays that style where it's moving the puck transition offense, getting the puck out of your zone quickly, getting up the ice quickly. You know, they never really established that. So, um, you know, I think you had up and down moments from Keandre Miller. Uh, I thought, you know, Matias Samuelson was the captain and, and, and a guy that as a returning player, you expect a lot more out of, not necessarily offensively, but I, I thought even the things that he does well got kind of nullified a little bit in the tournament. Uh, but I'm still still a big fan of his game. I think that he's a, you know, gonna has NHL capabilities. But I mean, that was it was tough. He played a lot of minutes and you know had had a lot of situations where you know they weren't in the best best spot there. So, um, but I, I do think that Zach Jones is a bit of a kind of a, a pleasant surprise too with how well he played. Uh, was a top power play defenseman for the team and you know, made some plays and, and showed, showed his hands, but it just, there just wasn't enough consistency top to bottom in that roster that, that allowed that team to really uh, succeed. And, uh, you know, I still think they underachieved. I thought they were at least a team, but I, I had them finishing outside the medal this year. Uh, mainly because I, 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 yeah, mainly because I, I mean, I, I, I had them as a, you know, a gold medal threat still just because of, you know, the way the tournament's built up. But I thought that Russia, Canada, and Sweden were all better um, in terms of, the, their their team makeup and and I think the you know the results bore that out. Well, interesting. I, I actually had them in the uh, uh, championship game with Canada. I thought that offense, I just it didn't come to fruition. But I thought that offensive uh, potential that they had was going to be enough. But you know, I, I, it was a breakout tournament for Shane Pinto. He's been really good yeah. with North Dakota this year. But uh, on this international stage, boy, he really made a name for himself. The the guy who disappointed probably the most, and you know what, Cole Caulfield has been so hot and cold for me this year that I wasn't terribly shocked necessarily that he didn't have the big breakout, but I expected a lot more from Oliver uh, Wallstrom, uh, who's been playing pro, and I thought he would come back to the junior ranks and be a leader and a rallying guy, but I, I was really disappointed, dis- disappointed with his performance and you know the, the flopping and the diving and certainly that elbow <laughs> yeah. at the end of that game against right. the Finns just I thought that was terrible and this is a really talented guy and hopefully he matures and grows out of it but that was not the performance you were hoping to get from from a guy who you thought could be a leader I I agree and you know the it was it was a weird tournament for him and and, and because I thought he played so far outside of his identity <laughs> like you know in terms of like what he is he he was he wanted to be a physical presence, which he has the size and strength to do, and I thought that was good to see. I don't know that he had necessarily always channeled it properly. As you mentioned, that elbow was pretty bad. There were other instances where, you know, he was really getting under the opposition skin. He drew quite a few penalties because of that, which is good. But but there was a lot of plays where he just got tunnel vision when he had the puck. He wasn't making plays. He was getting the puck into the zone, but then it would just the nothing would happen. Um, you know, I think. Uh, you know, the goal scoring has, has really dried up for him over these last couple of years, which was such a key element to what he did. And it's just a tremendous shot and, you know, great release. And, you know, I just don't necessarily think that he ever really put himself in the best positions to produce. And, you know, and, I, and the other thing about this team, you know, you mentioned Shane Pinto and, and he did have a tremendous tournament. I mean, I think that he was a guy that I had 
uh, like several scouts last year saying this kid is a first rounder. This kid should be a first rounder. And, and, and I was like, I just, I just don't see it. I don't know what it, you know, I see he's strong. He's, he's got a great shot. He, you know, he's, he plays well, but he, he does a lot of little things well. And he's done them at North Dakota. I saw him earlier in the year. And I was like, wow, this kid has really come on. And this is a pretty impressive, uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he's really, you know, honing that offensive side of his game. And then at this tournament, you know, he's on their top power play. He could be at the net front. He could do a lot of different things. He, you know, could get in on the forecheck and, you know, but, but the thing is, is that after that, their center depth just went south quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, Jack Drury was a returning player. I think he's a really great piece their best penalty killer. I, I, I really appreciated the way that he played on the PK, but that's not a playmaking center. And that was your number two center. And, and, and often playing, you know, with guys like Cole Caulfield and all of a sudden, you know, they're not, they're not getting the puck. I mean, that's the reason why. Um, and then, you know, Turcotte should have been better. And, you know, I thought, uh, you know, they, they kind of had the fourth line with Curtis Hall and, um, you know, those guys that they, they played to, to their role and didn't necessarily get enough ice time, but you know, you need strength down the middle. And I thought that was one of the things that this team also lacked. All right. Well, the host, uh, Czech Republic finished seventh in the tournament. For me, I thought they were just victim of injuries to all, like all their key guys. A couple of their top scorers were hurt. Uh, I believe they had goaltending health issues as well. Um, just uh, a perfect storm in a negative way for the Czechs. It, it was. Yeah. It, I mean, losing. Jacob Lauko right off the bat was just uh, devastating to them. And he's not necessarily a game breaker, but he played in all situations for them. And he's out within minutes of the tournament starting. Yeah. Um, and that, and, and a guy that's played pro hockey this year. Uh, and then, you know, losing Jan Yannick before, before the, the medal round was also devastating because did that guy ever step up? We've seen it in the OHL this year. We've seen, you know, I, I saw him in the summer rookie showcase that they had out west uh, for the for the Pacific Division teams, and he was fantastic there and even better at this World Junior. I thought he did everything they needed. And then, as you mentioned, they had Lucas Dostal got got sick, and there was illness going around the World Junior throughout this uh, this whole thing. Multiple teams were losing guys to to illness over the course, including Germany, who lost Tim Stutzla for the last two uh, relegation games, and. And Dostal was out and, you know, he came back and I thought he was pretty shaky in that, that, that medal round start, the quarterfinal start that, that he got. Um, but man, you know, I, I thought that they, they put on a show. They beat Russia in the first game. Um, and then they managed to steal a point against the U.S. Now, if they don't get that point against the U.S., they're out yeah. of the tournament. They're, they're yeah. in the relegation round that they're hosting. And, uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, you look at guys, they, they had guys step up and, and Lucas Parikh, the goalie was, was the guy that stepped up in that game against the U.S. and gave them an opportunity to at least get that point. And, and it was a shame too, because it was a lot of fun to watch Germany play um, in those high level games. Now, Slovakia didn't have much. Kazakhstan also didn't have much, but the Germans were a fun team to watch too. And you mentioned to Tim Stutzel, who's uh, up for the draft this year and could be a, a top 10 pick. Uh, now, as you mentioned, didn't get to finish the tournament because he was sick, but, um, there were some, uh, there was some talent on that German team. Dominic Bach was there. Uh, uh Moritz Seider was there. Uh, this was a, a team, I think any casual fan would have been interested to watch that team. Absolutely. I mean, I, I made a point to, you know, watch as many of their games as I could. And, you know, based on the schedule and them going to the relegation round, I got a couple more games than I bargained for. Um, but, it was great to see. And they had the one thing I have to say 
about this German team is, is Moritz Sider showed over this week that he is absolutely the real deal. I think that a lot of us that didn't get a chance to see him last year live um, just because, you know, it's, it's tough for us and the, you know, the scouts obviously will go do it, but the, those of us that kind of do this on the, on the journalistic side aren't going to necessarily be able to convince their bosses to make a, a, a trip out to, to Mannheim, Germany uh, for one player. And I, you know, I wish I would have seen him live and I don't know if I would have seen what I saw in this tournament, but I, I think this is a guy that looks like, you know, a number one defenseman and, 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 and the guy that, you know, apparently the Detroit Red Wings saw, thought enough of to, to take sixth overall. And he was on the ice for only three even strength goals against the entire tournament. And that is considering the guy that he had in front of him and who they had to play against is insane. Uh, one of the even strength goals is an empty netter by Kazakhstan in the, in the relegation round too. So um, it, it's, it's ridiculous to me that, uh, that, you know, he, he was able to shut down so many of the top teams forwards. Uh, he, you know, kept the, kept Germany competitive in every single game. I mean, they, they really were, except with the exception of their game against Russia, they were competitive in pretty much every game. And, uh, even gave the U.S. a pretty extended scare in their game. And I thought that, that he was a big reason for that. Their coaching staff basically said he put us on his back. It was an incredible showcase of of what he can bring to the table. Now, he, he had six assists, uh, three of which came in their win against the Czech Republic, which was just a fantastic all-around game. But he – defensively, I just thought he was so elite. But, you know, we were also looking at the guys like that you mentioned, Dominic Bach, who has not had a great year in Sweden this year with Rogla. Um, he has, he really, really stepped up his game. He scored two goals in the, in the game three of the relegation round. He scored goals against the top teams as well. High, high end skill. But the thing the coaching staff really pointed to is that he showed commitment defensively that they hadn't really seen from him previously. And, and I thought that that was a very positive note for Carolina Hurricanes fans. And, you know, he got traded from, from the Blues as a former first rounder. Uh, to Carolina and just a remarkable game uh, that he played at the World Juniors. And I think hopefully he'll take that confidence back to Sweden and maybe get a chance to move up the lineup in Rogla and have a good second half because he, he was outstanding. And then, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Tim Stutzel, uh, incredible talent. He had, I think, five assists and then he was sick for the last two yeah. relegation round games, but an uh, unreal playmaker. You know, he's, he's lighting it up in the German league this year as a, as a, you know, as a 17 year old and just a really special talent. I think that he absolutely is in the mix for the top 10 in the draft this year. Um, and, and could go, you know, even higher than, than expected uh, over some guys that may be more established or better known. But then they also had Lucas Reichel and John Jason Paterka mm-hmm. on the team who are also draft eligible this year. And I think the two of them are, are, you know, early day two picks, uh, based on what they've showed at this tournament and what they've showed so far this season in the DEL. So, Germany is in a really good spot for their future because of, you know, that, that group of players. And uh, it's, it's certainly pleasing to see a, another country really step up um, in this world junior cycle. And I'm glad that they were able to uh, stay in the top level. Well, next year's tournament uh, back here in Alberta, kind of like the uh, uh, Gretzky Holinka cup in Red Deer and Edmonton uh, next year. Uh, and the pools have already been decided. And again, it looks like sort of an unbalanced uh, uh power structure with the pools, Canada and Finland, plus three teams. And then you got the other pool, 
with the U.S. and Russia and Sweden and and the Czechs again, uh, and I believe Germany in that pool as well. If uh, I might be wrong on that, maybe Germany's. With I think Canada, it's Austria. But, yeah, Austria. Uh, yeah, you're right, Austria. Uh, but still, so that one pool is going to be tougher to get out of uh, than the other. But uh, you making the trip up again? Oh, you bet. Yeah, that I, I can't wait for that. And and I think, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how that all shakes out. And I'm kind of wondering too, with this being in Edmonton and you know with Canada, there's not a lot of great uh, New Year's Eve slash Boxing Day matchups to to promote. Um, Based on, you know, I mean, there's yeah. Finland, of course, but I'm not sure if, you know, does Canada, Switzerland get your blood pumping on New Year's Eve? I'm not really sure. So right. I, I'd be interested to see if, if there's any, you know, as we saw in Buffalo where USA moved Canada over to their group for the outdoor game, um, if there'd be anything like that, just because, it, you know, to, to, have a, to, to have a little bit more pizzazz in the preliminary round. But either way, I mean, I think Canada is going to come in with a lot of confidence and you know, I think every country, it's just the way the juniors is right now, it's wide open, right? You know, it's among, you know, basically five teams have a chance. Um, and, and you know, you never know which of those teams is really going to step up. So I, I can't wait for it. I'm, I'm really excited to be there. All right. Well, we'll save our uh, 2021 predictions uh, for uh, next December. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. Chris, as always, really appreciate your time, man. We went a long time, but it was awesome stuff. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Guy. Thanks for having me. There you go. Chris Peters with an excellent uh, recap and rundown of everything that happened at the 2020 World Junior Championship. Uh, follow Chris on uh, Twitter, and uh, his stuff is all at uh, ESPN and does a fantastic job uh, keeping track of all the prospects out there as well. Uh, and that is going to do it for uh, this abbreviated World Junior Cap uh, recap. That's going to do it for this abbreviated World Junior recap episode of the Pipeline Show. As I mentioned at the start, there will be another episode this weekend after the CHL trade deadline. So we'll have uh, uh, Willie Palov from the uh, Halifax Chronicle Herald in uh, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, he's going to be on the show. You're going to hear from uh, Lucas Puncari up in uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan with the Herald up there. And uh, looking to get an Ontario Hockey League uh, media perspective as well. And uh, always keep tabs on what's happening south of the border in the NCAA. Maybe a U-Sport guest. Uh, so lots to get to. But that will come this weekend uh, on the Pipeline Show. Usually it comes out on Fridays. I think we're going to push it to Saturday, maybe even Sunday this weekend, though, because of the uh, the trade deadline that happens in the OHL and the dub. That uh, doesn't happen until uh, late Friday afternoon. A quick shout-out to uh, the regular sponsors that you hear me uh, mention uh, usually during a full episode. So my CHL Insider is always uh, brought to you by the store next door out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, uh, employing people with disabilities. And uh, what they do is they collect as many broken hockey sticks as they can get their hands on, and they uh, transform that garbage into some treasures, uh, making some really cool display items or you know tables or chairs or you know deck chairs or uh display racks if you have a, a hockey puck collection something like that lots of cool things uh, check out their website it's the store next door ca all of my whl guests are brought to you by dubnetwork.ca you can stay up to date on everything happening around the western hockey league including a very busy uh, lead up here to the trade deadline uh, all the uh, reaction everything you need to know about it uh, you can find at dubnetwork.ca and Pro Stock Hockey, uh, always uh, getting updated uh, equipment uh, from NHL clubs. This is stuff made for the pros that uh, they are able to retail to you, the general public. And check out their website at ProStockHockey.com. 
And again, for anyone who has signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show, I really, really appreciate your help over the last couple of years and uh, really encourage uh, anyone who hasn't already signed up to be a patron. A couple of bucks a month is all it takes. Automatically uh, goes to your credit card so you don't have to think about it uh, each month. Uh, And uh, you get early access to all the interviews that you hear on the Pipeline Show. This one with Chris Peters was available uh, yesterday. And although, while there hasn't been a show here for the last couple of months, and that means there hasn't been a whole lot of action for patrons to take advantage of uh, normally, I mean, there's three, four, sometimes five guests per show, and uh, patrons get to hear all of those interviews three, sometimes four days before the final show is available on iTunes or Spotify or, or SoundCloud or Google Play or wherever you get your copy of the Pipeline Show. Uh, patrons uh, are able to listen to those segments individually uh, days before the uh, the episode actually is released to the general public. So if you'd like early access, you can do that as well. Patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show. All right, so that is it for the World Junior Recap. We'll be back again in uh, three or four days for the post-CHL trade deadline show and uh, another regular episode of the Pipeline Show. Until then, everybody, get out and watch some junior college hockey so that you and I can talk about it next time here on the Pipeline Show. Till then, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya.